It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for the match preview. I'm Andrew Musgrove. I'm back from my holidays. Opposite me is John Gibson. Newcastle travelled down to the capital to face West Ham on Sunday for an afternoon kickoff on Sky Sports and, of course, live coverage through Chronicle Live's live blog. John, as usual, we will look ahead to that game, but we like to look yep. back at the game before because sometimes it tells us a bit about what to expect from Newcastle in their next game. But, of course, only one subject dominating the nil-nil draw with Crystal Palace. And you guys listening might be a little bit sick of the discussion about VAR because I think everyone has the same opinion. Things need to change. I think, John, you'll be on the the same wavelength as me. VAR's not the issue. It's the people running it. Well, absolutely. I mean, without VAR, and by that I mean the people running it with in conjunction without without VAR, Newcastle had three points because they scored a legitimate goal, or shall I put it another way, Palace scored a legitimate goal for us, an own goal, and, um, you know, it would have been three points. And really, you think, not just VAR, but the whole world against Newcastle at the moment, because the goal, and I must admit, sitting in the stadium, I thought there was nothing wrong with the goal. Now, I'm not being a genius in that because obviously sometimes when it's slowed down, you see that things are wrong. But when it was slowed down, what you saw was Mitchell shove Willock into the goalkeeper. Uh, The referee, bless him, gave a goal initially, but he's very inexperienced. And when Lee Mason's in his ear um, saying you better have a look at it, unless you're, you're Oliver... Uh, who is our top whistler, uh, Jody, by the way, who at Forest was told to go and look at the, the monitor, looked at the monitor and said, no, I'll give a penalty, it's still a penalty. That's what's got to stop happening, start happening. And you're absolutely right, it is not VAR, it is the people that run VAR, and Alan Shearer pointed out that out very forcibly. Mason, I think, has been taken off the list for this weekend. That's of absolute no uh, consolation to us. In the last three games, I'm forgetting VAR, whether it was VAR, whether it was not, Newcastle have had such a bad rub of the green. If you take the goal that would have won the game against Palace, you then go to um, Liverpool when the referee couldn't find his watch in five minutes become eight minutes become nine minutes of overtime and we lost in that overtime and you take the game before that at Wolves when Sean Longstaff had the the shirt pulled off his back in the penalty area no penalty and the follow-up was missed by Willock so there's been points I mean, it, we could have therefore won it at it, Wolves. There's two points. Got a draw at Liverpool. That's three points. And another two points. We could have been five points better off with with better officialdom. Now, there is a theory, especially on social media, and I've made my thoughts <coughs> 100% clear. I've gotten a bit of debate with Newcastle United fans who listen to this podcast, and I'm all for that. Please do you know, come at me on Twitter if, uh, as long as you keep it polite I'm all all for replying to you guys and and having a bit of discussion there's a lot of feeling amongst some that there is this agenda there is this 
yeah. like conspiracy that the Premier League and the PAGL are working against Newcastle United. Are you a, a fact? Well, it's funny you that? should say that because under normal circumstances, I'm not. Um, I'm not a Donald Trump who sees uh, all sorts of uh, things around murky corners. But, you know, I've just voluntarily, before I got into that, and I didn't know that that's going on, I listed three things that's happened in the last three games that's all gone against Newcastle. And what will have stirred this sort of thinking as well is when somebody of consequence, i.e. Eddie Howe, comes out and says that clubs in the Premier League are get he's talking about the transfer market, are against us and definitely held us to ransom during the transfer window, then you get the theory gaining credence that a lot of people are dischuffed, A, because we've suddenly become pseudo-rich in their eyes, and B, because it's Saudi money of all money, and they dislike that. So the conspiracy theories are bound to uh, go on and on and on. And I do think deep down inside, for example, Eddie Howe's right in the transfer market, the clubs do not want Newcastle that's to be expected, successful. that's expected, isn't it? Yes, it's human nature, but it's wrong. But, yeah, I mean, are we really expecting clubs just to bend over backwards? I think the, no, the quote well, used well, nobody's was... Nobody's wanting anybody to bend over backwards. They're just wanting to deal on an even hand. The clubs don't want to deal on an even hand. Because, <coughs> I mean, they are going against, often, <coughs> what their player wants. Their player might want to come to Newcastle on loan. Uh, Madison wanted to come permanently, it's, but they won't let them because it's Newcastle. But they will send them out on loan <laughs> somewhere else. Yeah, that that's natural, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist and it doesn't mean it's morally wrong. But whether the, the, the referees go out or VAR goes out, I mean, that is taking it to a, a huge extreme. But I can understand where people are coming from. They, they must feel... Um, <coughs> The bad luck Newcastle have had, <coughs> excuse me, recently on decisions, and I just named three, is bound to fuel stuff like that. It does. Trump got President of the United States on on that sort of thinking. Mm. And just well, just on the the comments about the transfer, and I think Eddie Howe used the the line of teams weren't willing willing to do us a favour, but I think that's expected. You know, when Newcastle United, if someone comes in for one of their players, aren't exactly going to sell them. On the cheap, they'll, they'll want to get the best price. So I don't have an issue with that. It's annoying, frustrating. Also but saying they're not just uh, want to get the best price, but they don't want to sell them at all to us if they can sell them to somebody else. Well, or let them out on loan to us if they can let them out on loan to somebody else. I just else. think that's, that's to be expected. Newcastle that doesn't mean we've got to be thrilled about it. No, or, I'm not, I'm not, not saying that. Or but not be furious. I, I, I just think you kind mm. of just got to... You, you, you got to you got to take it, you know, Newcastle. Well, we haven't got an option. We have got to take it, and we have got to take the decisions with far. The, fa- the fact <coughs> that Lee Mason stood down this weekend, which is as public as you can get that he made a wrong decision on the goal against Palace, is of no consolation to us because no. they don't say, well, he was wrong, that was a goal, the result is now 1 0 to Newcastle, you've got three points and we're taking one off. You can't do that. The game's over, the result's got to stand. Um, it's just bad luck, and you've got to hope that it evens itself out over over the passing of time. Well, that's what Eddie Howe said as well, didn't, didn't he? He says he, he did kind of hope it will even out over the season. He also said he didn't think it was bad luck. He, he said something along the lines of, we have to make our own luck, which I think is absolutely superb. You're not hearing him use it as an excuse because... Oh, I think I think we've got to say, Andrew, that while, and we're 
justified in saying Newcastle would have won 1-0 but for Lee Mason. We've also got to say that that incident left half an hour left to play and Newcastle throughout the hour and a half missed so many chances that, let's be truthful, it is of their own making. Yes, we won the game 1-0 in reality, but we didn't help ourselves yes, with all the game. Yes, and, and the rest, even when that happened at the time, I thought, ah, half an hour to go. We're bound to get one in half an hour. The amount of play we're having, the amount of opportunities we are having. But it boils down to the usual thing. We still haven't found a consistent answer as yet to scoring goals. Mm. We, we, we're creating chances, but not scoring goals. And I think that Maxi and Bruno were very, very much missed against Palace. Less so, ironically, I felt at Liverpool, because there you can sit back, you counter-attack them on the break. If you've got quick legs, you get up. Their defence is exposed. Their full-backs play on the halfway line, uh, and that's when they're being defensive. So it, it was a different... But when you've got a well-organised defence that'll quickly put eight men behind the ball, as, as Palace would do, we didn't have the answer without the X factor, Bruno is magnificent and plays regularly magnificent. It's I know it's hot and cold for Maxi, but his last two games were Man City when he was absolutely unplayable and Wolves when he was absolutely horrible and did nothing until he scored a wonder goal. But he, those two can change the inevitability uh, of Newcastle having all the ball against Palace, but it's not not. A little glimpse, a second of Bruno magic, a second of Maxi magic, and we have won one nil. Um, so I think they were missing. The sooner they're back, the better. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see if either feature on Sunday. Looking at social media, it looks like Maxi is is back in France. He's in the the uh, the kind of the air chamber thing. Um, yeah, you know, during the two rehab. days off, the players had off. He mm. went over there instead of just having. So it'll be off. interesting to see if he does come back or if he stays over there for a bit more rehab. I've, I think he'll come back, and I think he's got a chance. On you think? I, Bru- I, th- I think he's got a chance. Um, I think Bruno's got more of a chance. Yeah, looking. well, also, yes, and also Bruno's that type. You can imagine Bruno running through a brick wall. You can imagine Maxi wondering which way the wind's blown. Mm. Um, there is a difference. Uh, might be a... Yes, he may... Fan, do you think he might fancy burn Bournemouth more at home and he could get a good result there rather but, than West Ham away? But looking at the, the injury Maxi's, the Maxi's got, it's one of those where you don't you don't rush him back. Do you, you know, if, if he's not 100% oh, no, for West no, Ham, course, course you, you save him no, for, of course you don't. for yeah, Bournemouth. I mean, we just don't know what stage he's left. Well, yeah, well, it's a guessing game. It's a guessing game. And just... Finally on Vavs and Newcastle face West Ham, who had just as bad bad as luck against Chelsea. Yes, it did. With a decision which was nearly as bad, if not slightly worse, I felt, than the Newcastle one. I mean, what is the game coming to when that goal is ruled out for a foul on the goalkeeper? When the boot at worst... What would you say, John? How would you describe uh, John Bowen's boot on the keeper? Well, I mean, it's a nonsense. And it's taking out the game we know and love we're in danger of losing because of... I mean, the goals that are now being ruled out 
I mean, if you take the wonder goal of Arsenal running from the edge of their own penalty area to Martinelli's score at Manchester United, what a wonderful artistic goal that was. But he, but uh, one of the Arsenal players breathed on the back of the neck of one of the... Uh, uh, on uh, Ericsson, and that was it. It was all taken out. I mean... Isaac, what a wonderful strike at Liverpool where he sent two of the two defenders, like a matador, he sent them into the cop with an ole, pulled the ball back and stuck in the top. But evidently the the the, the hairs on his leg were standing up and the hairs were offside. I mean it, it we're getting now and the big VAR decisions, we're getting now to a situation where the romance is, is, is being taken out See, of football. That was always the, the worry, wasn't it? That you lose that kind of heartache, frustration, but elation that you'd get in the pubs and clubs after the game where you do go and you, you're you sitting there and saying, he was miles offside, but they've given the goal. So in one way, I'm ha- happy that VAR's come in because you lose that injustice, and or you should do it. No, you theory. don't. That's exactly the same, the point. But... You see, with with offside, it's slightly different because I know it's, it's so minuscule. But you know, the letter of the law, he's offside. I think it's slightly different when we look at what happened with Willick and what, what happened with Jared Bowen, for instance. But I do feel offside way. You know, that's where VAR. Yeah, but the offside decisions now, if you've got a toenail offside, you're offside. But if it's consistent, but, but if it's consistent, then. It, it yeah, works. we're consistently knock off some of the greatest goals we've seen, which was the Arsenal goal at Manchester United, Isaac's goal at Liverpool. No, but that's different, though, isn't it? They, they were fouls on players. I'm talking of if, if it's offside, and it's no, well, Isaac's goal was. Well, yeah, sorry, but the offside. But I mean, you can make it clear and precise. If there's any air between the. Uh, back of the guy's heel and the line, then he's offside. But, I mean, that's a totally different point to the VAR on fouls, but it, it, it is a point that's contentious as well. As a third point is, and by the way, we've got to get off this, also all program be about this, but shirt-pulling in the in the penalty area. Well, I mean, look at what happened to Longstaff, and I'm not just bringing it up because of Longstaff, but that's an example. Leeds as well over the weekend. Oh, you know, uh, where they're blatant penalties and they're not given. We were told that all this new tech sweeping generalisation all this new technology would make football so much fairer and therefore much more of a wonderful spectacle for the crowd because it is entertainment and it's not it's producing more frustration it's producing what seems an interminable amount of time between a goal and a goal being given whether somebody can celebrate it or can't celebrate it whether the crowd can celebrate it or can't celebrate it and I mean I don't know. Do you want to go back? Not you personally, people. Well, that's to, the question, to, isn't it? To the human error situation where referee referees and makes decisions and they're stood by, which happened for 100 years. Are, are we moving forward so well and so wonderfully and isn't it so good that we've got technology, which quite frankly is producing more uh, uproar than if it wasn't yeah, there. But again, it's not the technology, is it? It's the people running it. So well, it's, well, you come back to human nature, then well, the human mistakes, the same thing as when you hadn't technology yeah. and referees made human mistakes. Just the final question then on VAR before we move on. What's the solution? Have you got a three-point plan? Well, they, no, I mean, I don't know that there is, uh, apart from the fact that the, the people that run VAR... Um, have better eyesight than Lee Mason's got. What about um, Mike and them up potentially getting ex-professionals to 
to look well, after Well, the big thing now is sort of saying, let's put ex-managers, etc., etc. But you're going to open a can of worms, eh? If you've, if you've got Benitez eh, eh, running <laughs> VAR and Newcastle are playing Liverpool or whatever, whatever, what, I mean, and then he makes a contentious decision, do you not think that'll be challenged? Yeah, the, the, the conspiracy theories will They're just going to continue. Go another level, yeah, of course it Whatever the uh, the solution is, the man who knows the answer to that will be a very rich one if um, he does indeed make it public. Um, looking ahead then to West Ham, they've not had the best starts to the season. A little bit like Leicester, John, they were one of the, the sides I think many Newcastle fans looked up to and said this is where Newcastle United need to be aiming for. Yep. And like Leicester, they've started the season poorly, but they're still a good side. They've still got good players. Is it just the case you think they've started the season poorly? It's just it's just it's just bad form. They will be up in there about seven or eight, you know, with Newcastle hopefully challenging for a place well, in the top the, ten. The funny thing is, Andrew, that this this particular match on Sunday, as it stands right now, is between two clubs exactly the same. At the beginning of the season, West Ham fans were blown bubbles because they had had the big finishes that squeezed them into Europe. Since Moyes went, they were a different side. They'd made some quality signings. They were going to fly. We are a different club to Ashley and Bruce. We've made some quality sides. We're going to fly to a certain extent. Uh, you look at both our records. You've you've just said there that, and rightly so, that West Ham have had, by their standards, a surprising start to the season, a bad start to the season by their standards. Their record's the same as ours in terms of wins. We've both had one win out of six. Our record isn't great. For a club that was going to be certainly in the top half and will make seven in some people, and I'm talking about... I'm just uh, going to put out that I said, I, said, I said I'd take 11th. I'm just going to put that well, out. Well, that's there. where we are. I, I wouldn't take End the 11th. season now. I wouldn't take 11th. But the point I'm coming back to are facts are facts and can't be argued against. Newcastle and West Ham are very, very similar going into this match. They're both desperate for a victory. Why? Because they've got one win out of six. Newcastle have one win out of six and so have West Ham. So in other words, both of them are punching beneath what they were expected to punch this season. It's early doors. It can quickly change. There's certainly no need to panic from Newcastle's point of view because you can flip the coin and say they've only lost one out of six as well as only won one out of six. They've had too many draws. And therefore, in my eyes, Sunday, winner takes all because losers fall because neither side ideally want to draw both sides need a win a win is long overdue for us we've had five successive Premier League games without a win we haven't won since opening day this season against Nottingham Forest now the improvement in Newcastle is immense it's there for all to see it's it's not meant as a criticism to either the board or anyhow because we've I've banged on on here so often about how wonderful they've done for us and that is absolutely so and a disappointing result against Crystal Palace is not going to change my opinion on that but the facts are we do need a win there's absolutely no question about that one out of six if you don't get it on Saturday it's one out of seven and you've got bum out at home 
that looks a good chance, but they've improved since Parker left, uh, and then you've got a break. Um, so we need to go down there looking to get three points. Equally, they are desperate for exactly the same thing. We're both in this, and we're both got a barrel load of good players. We've got both got managers that's done well. How's done terrific for Moyes has revived his career, which looked on the slide. He looked like yesterday's man after Manchester United and Sunderland and everything else. But down there, he's revived the whole thing. But we're both in need of a win. Hmm. And the performance against Palace, although Newcastle obviously didn't score, Isaac should have done, Almiron should have done, he hit the post as well. Was there enough in that performance on Saturday for you to head in to Sunday's game with West Ham on a positive note? Yeah, I mean, Newcastle, for two-thirds of the pitch, were terrific. They defended well, they attacked well. But if you say that, you've also got to say in the final third of the pitch, they were poor. If you're going to, they were terrific for two-thirds of the pitch and poor in the final third. Um, and that's the honesty of the thing. Uh, so if you look at it, you, if you, you take the pluses, you can say Newcastle are, are playing well, etc., etc., etc. So let us not panic. Let's settle down. Let's... And then you can look at the other end and say, but we need a cutting edge. Now, Isaac was going to be the cutting edge, and Isaac and Wilson would be the dream partnership. That's not going to happen at West Ham, that's for certain. And, you know, Isaac haven't had the sensational start at, at, at Liverpool. It was Sod's Law that against uh, Palace at home, he was going to get that free run on goal. Um, and... I mean, I've talked to everybody from Jackie Milburn who had a free run like that in the 50s Cup final right away through Supermac and everybody else. I've talked to centre forwards privately about that situation. And they say that in some ways, the pressure on that situation is awful. You have too much time to think because you've broken away. You've got a long run up to the goalkeeper and you've got to decide which side you slip it, whether you dink it, whether you blast it. Are these defenders behind me catching me up? I can't. The crowd expectancy, oh, especially if you're at home. And you've got too much time to think and therefore often those those things are missed. And and he tried a, a clever one with a dink and it, oh, dinks are wonderful when they come off. They look awful when they don't. And it was too close to the keeper of the dink and he was able with his hand up to get to it and therefore it looked an awful miss. And, you know, that's the reality of life, isn't it? He has what he had at Liverpool and then he has what he has there. Let's go out and score at West Ham and uh, get that taste out the mouth. Fingers crossed he manages to find the back of the net. Someone did say to me the wonder whether Isaac might find it easier to begin with playing away from home, did you feel he handled, you know, the, I don't want to say the word expectation, because I don't think there was too much expectation on him, but, you know, the attention. Oh, I think there was a lot on you him. Think? After, scoring, after scoring two, but only one counted at Liverpool, and it's at home, and it's only Palace, it's not Man City, I think, it's not, I think there was an awful lot of expectation. I think running through like he did, By the way, the expectation score. on him, I think, was wonderful, because it was going to lift him, because hmm. the crowd, expectations is looks a little bit of inevitable for it, but I, I mean, the whole crowd were with him, the whole crowd were willing him on, the whole crowd wanted a goal, the whole crowd thought we had a chance in this game because we had a centre forward in the absence of Callum Wilson, 
And so there was that expectancy. But if that's channeled right, you, you know, you can fly on wings, like, you know, um, it, it, was a, it was a positive thing. But yes, of course. Um, but if you're a number nine at Newcastle and you've cost 60 million, pressure is something you've got to carry around like your sandwiches and a brown paper parcel. It's, it's part of every daily. Very, very true. And he, he does look like he's settled well. And fingers crossed, as we say, he can get a goal against West Ham on Sunday. Looking at the defence, Eddie Howe went with Fabian Scher and Sven Botman. Looks like that might be the set partnership. A little bit harsh on Dan Byrne, who hasn't put a foot wrong. But, you know, Fabian Scher, I think, was maybe a little bit of the unsung hero on, on Saturday. He just went about his business in a bit of a, a, a rare way for him, actually. Just did everything that he needed to do, wasn't trying to sh- be kind of sure about class classy or anything, just got on with the job mm. and he did it very well. Botman looks, continues to look like he's worth every penny Newcastle spent on him. Is that the partnership you see? Yeah, yeah. On and I think it was always going to be um, because it's a balanced one instead of two left footers if you play Botman and Burn together. It's a balanced one, left foot, right foot. Um both are comfortable on the ball. Uh, Shaw is loved by Howe. Shaw was on the way out before Howe came. If you look at his record, and I haven't got the figures in front of me, but he's played nine-tenths of, of all the games when he's been fit and available, the key games. He didn't play at Liverpool simply because they were both rested to spread the load. Um, you know, instead of playing Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, the load was spread because we've got four centre-halves. I mean, the other two were Byrne, who's done terrific for us, and the club skipper. So the the, the load was spread. But uh, right from day one, I always felt that Bob, well, once it settled down, it was going to be Botman and Shaw. The balance is right. The, the um, manager loves Shaw. You haven't brought Botman in and that money to be reserved. It is desperately unfair on Byrne because he only arrived in January. It was an absolute dream move from because it's to the club he supported as a boy I thought he was uh, monumental at, uh, at Liverpool um, but he had to go out or play at left back and Target's going to not give that shirt up easily enough um, so it, it, it is unlucky but that's the way football is and yes I think it'll be Shaw and Botman uh, unless there's a injuries or a, a real drop in one of them with form. Mm. And good to see Trippier back to the level as well that we, we all know he's he's usually at a few ropey games, I felt, prior to, 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 to this mm. one. But he, I thought he was, he was very good against Palace and long may that continue. Into that mid- Against Zaha as well, of course. Yes, yes. Um, into that midfield, Joe Linton will no doubt start. You then got a couple of question marks over the other two. Now, Joe Willick, again, okay, yes, he was involved in that goal. That should have should have stood. He had a couple of chances, but you're still waiting for him just to press Caution. on. Caution. Is it Caution. a time? Now, obviously, there's, there's, there's two kind of elements here. Bruno Gumrash being fit, you would think if he is. He goes straight back in, of course he staff. does. Of course he does. Well, if, uh, it's, you start with saying Bruno and Joe Linton, and who who mm. should your third one be? Who, who, so if Bruno is fit, is it out for Willick? Is it out for Longstaff? I would play Longstaff before Willick in that formation, but I'm waiting, and I would gamble at some stage, either this match at West Ham or Bournemouth at home, start 
Elliot Anderson. Well, this is what I was going to ask you, but is he not more likely to start on one of the flanks, you think? So, i.e. Ryan Fraser or uh, Almiron drops out if, if Yeah, he came on fit. and played wide and he can play wide, but it's not his position. I mean, he can drift into that. But played he, very well, though, didn't he when, he, when he went into that he wide position? He played very well because he's a good player. I mean, if you play him left-back, he would look very well going forward. He mightn't defend too well, but the kid needs to get his start. I mean, the only way he's going to get better is moments on the pitch. All he's going to do sitting on the bench is get splinters in his bum. He's got to be given some time. So you would play him across the, the centre, though? Well, I would play him somewhere. <laughs> uh, no, well, is it, because then it all depends on Bruno and Maxi. So, so, if so, Maxi doesn't start, you can play him wide in, in Maxi's position. But if Maxi's fit, Maxi starts. If Bruno's fit, Bruno starts. Then where do you play him if you're going to start him? I will play him in the third centre midfield position under those circumstances. But if Bruno makes it and Maxi doesn't, which is what we talked about, then you can play him out wide on the left in, in Bruno's position. But in, I, in, sorry, in Maxi's position. But either way, you, you, you I think start. he's ready for a start. And I think he might just give us a little bit of that oomph, a little bit of that uh, injection, a little bit of that unexpected, ooh, what might happen, more than, than Longstaff or Willick would do. So, I mean, you could have, you, you could have Longstaff sit, uh, which is his best position, but if Boone is back, he may well sit and, and allow Anderson to go on. But I think it's time for Anderson to be unleashed whether it is in the middle three or wide if Max is missing. So let's clear it up then. We'll go with no Bruno, no St. Maxman. Mm-hmm. Anderson starts where? Anderson, well, there's, he's been starting two positions, can't he? Um, I would be tempted to, to start him in the middle three because I, I think when we have a middle three, which is Joe Linton, Willock and Longstaff, we look short. We look short of ideas. We're not short of huff and puff. We're not short of endeavour. But we're short of creativity. And Anderson is creative. So Willick then drop out in that, that instance? I, I, I think I would, yes. I would I would I would let Longstaff sit. I would have Joe and Anderson who can attack the situations. And then you would go with um, Fraser and, and Miggy up top. If Bruno is fit do you then play Joe Linton, Bruno and then Anderson or do you keep Willigan and, and maybe knock out Fraser? No, I might put Longstaff in there and put uh, and put Anderson out wide right. on the left. In place of, was it? Was well, it would be with, Fraser, yeah, Fraser. In the, from the last game. Yeah. From the last game. And if both are fit, if both sit Maxman and Bruno are raring to go, you would say they come straight in? Oh, they, they come straight in, absolutely no question. But I would then give them the third centre midfield position in place of in place of both the others because uh, you would go oh, with you would draw close out so I would draw in, both yeah. Longstaff and Willick because you would have Bruno Joe Linton and Anderson as my midfield well team. he certainly did enough against, against Palace to see him play because he went away to Bristol a boy and he came back a man Hmm. physically as well as mentally um, because he'd learned to rough and tumble he learned how to play his confidence was huge he has impressed Eddie and if we were buzzing like we you know with the two midfielders in Bruno and Joe Linton and the other guy was flying 
you can say, yeah, 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 he's got all the time in the world. But I think we're just lacking that little. We've got a side, I think it showed against Paris. We've got a side that will try, will press, will close down one for all and all for one, everything right. But a little, without Bruno, without some maximum, a little bit of inspiration to unlock the doors not there. I think Anderson's got that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I said this on Monday's episode and there was a piece up on, on Chronicle Live on uh, Tuesday night about when Miggy went off. Now, yes, he should have scored and he was missing the end product, but I, I felt he was the only one really running at the defence. And when he went off, Newcastle suffered a little bit. Anderson obviously replaced... Fraser wasn't it and, and did what he did and he, he was very good at running the, at the, at the, in the lines but again you kind of only had him doing it and I think you're right in what you say you you need more than one player doing that so if you start say Almiron and you start Anderson you then do have a, a bit more there's more than one player for West Ham to try and contain mm. obviously St Maximum's back and Bruno's back then it's a totally Different story, so it's going to be really interesting. I mean, now Mirren would keep his place for a start because mm. it was away, and and his his ability to run from the back to the front and get you up the park and his quickness, uh, you know, if he's going to be left out in my eyes at any stage, it would be at home where you might go for creativity, especially against someone like Bournemouth, say, um, going a game ahead. But but his his, his ability to run, but bless him, I mean. I I do think he's the most wonderful worker and the most uh, um, wanting to succeed footballer I've ever seen. But I mean, the last time I saw somebody run like that was a sheep that was running into a pen. You can, if you're a defender, you can just have your little pen at the side, open the front door, and you can all lay him in there very very easily because he does the same thing all the time. Bless him. I just said that for your consumption. I'm not not going to rise today. Don't worry about that. Um, One of the kind of the side stories, and this may not even be relevant if indeed Sean Longstaff doesn't start, but it is the comparison that was drawn many years ago between Declan Rice and Sean Longstaff. Sean Longstaff at that point was said to be the better option, the better player. Their careers have gone off on a different direction. Declan Rice arguably one of the best English midfielders in the Premier League. Sean Longstaff, that injury hit him hard. The comparisons soon were not comparisons. And it, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see if, if both of them line up. The, the, the difference, I mean, how big is the difference in class between the two, do you think? Big. without a shadow. Right now, big, without a shadow. Declan Rice is, is established in England International, who is said to be one of the best midfielders of his type. In the world, Sean Longstaff isn't guaranteed a, a position in Newcastle's uh, mid three when everybody's fit. So I don't think there's any comparison. And I'm not being harsh on Sean because I think he's done terrific after that injury to reinvent himself. But when somebody first comes along, they're always the, the second somebody. You, you know, you say you, the second Declan Rice, now remember those stories. He was also the second Michael Carrick, wasn't he? Because he ran very upright and, and, and looked in the same way as he would. Um, Matty Longstaff was the second uh, somebody after he scored against Manchester United, whether that was Paul Scholes or whatever because of the red hair. But everybody's the second somebody, but uh, let's be the first uh, of yourself. Um, I, I'd, with respect to Sean, 
and I mean it with utmost respect to Sean, who's dug in and made a Newcastle career for himself when it looked at one time he must be leaving the club. He can't be compared to Declan Rice. Um, has he done enough, do you think, Sean Longstaff, to make the decision if Bruno is fit to mm. either keep his place and Bruno comes in for Joe Willick or Bruno sits on the bench and, 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 and goes back to how it was when he first arrived? Has Sean Longstaff seized the opportunity uh, to impress Eddie Howe, to impress Newcastle United fans and to make that decision a lot harder than it maybe, um, it maybe could be? I... I think it's a lot harder than it could be, the, the, that decision, because Willick hasn't risen to the debate. Willick hasn't put pressure on Longstaff to say, look, get out of my way. I score goals here. I've scored six on the belt. Or I've scored, you know, excuse me. I'm going to be the first on the team sheet along with Joe Linton and Bruno uh, because I'm a £20 million player, blah, blah, blah. Willick hasn't put pressure on Longstaff. They're about even Stevens, while different sorts of players. Um, Anderson's putting pressure on the both of them for me. Um, they've all got it still to do. That third position is up for grabs long term. Long term this season, I'm talking about, not West Ham. When they're all fit and they're all there, um, you know, Bruno and Joe Linton, barring an unforeseen accident or two, in the third place is up for grabs. Um, but I don't think it's just a matter of Longstaff and Willock. It's a matter of Longstaff, Willock and Anderson. Mm. It's, a, it's a big shame as well that John Joe Shelby's not fit and raring to go. Because I forgot that was... all about him. He, he, he's as seen as often as uh, Callum Wilson these days, isn't he? Yeah, mm. I mean, they're both, um, you know, swathed in bandages. Unfortunately. So this game down at West Ham, is it a game, John, that you look at and, and think Newcastle favourites well they're certainly not the underdogs let's look at it the other way I mean both sides are exactly the same one win in six um, I mean the only way anybody would make West Ham favourites uh, uh, would be because they were at home but I think Newcastle are not expected to lose there ought not to lose there and have got to do better than draw there because of the necessity for a win Um in my eyes, Newcastle are slight favourites. Um, no doubt in West Ham supporters' eyes, West Ham are. But they're both in exactly the same boat. And we expected that, you know, but we expected that boat to be around seven, eight, nine, and not one win out of six. It's temporary, we hope, in, in Newcastle's case, um, because that can change very rapidly. But there's no getting away from the fact that we need to win. There's no getting away from that fact. And you don't think Eddie Howe will not have been saying this week to the like, right, guys, we've played well. We've done well this season. We've only lost one, but we've only won one. Let's put that right. Hmm. Would you take a point, though? Not now. I want three. I want three. I mean, take a point. We've got more drawers than the bedroom cabinet in my cupboard. Yeah, you know, I mean, we just draw everything. And is there a danger that if you start drawing and drawing and drawing, you will just get into that? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you don't want to get in the comfort zone where it gets to 80 minutes and you think, well, we're drawn, which means we're not losing, so we're and, okay. And in all fairness, you saw against Crystal Palace, Newcastle were, were pushing for the oh, win. Oh, Newcastle so. don't do that. And I want to emphasise that I'm not being negative because I think Newcastle have been terrific this season. 
But that doesn't stop with facing facts and that doesn't stop with wanting more. And we're not asking now to win every game and be in the top five or go on a run like Manchester United or like Arsenal. We're just saying we need a second win. We do, we do. But if I said to you at the start of the, the season uh, that we were coming into the seventh game now and Newcastle would have seven points, you would have taken that, wouldn't you? No, I wouldn't have taken that. No? Because, well, surely out of Wolves, uh, Brighton and um, Crystal Palace, we could have got one win instead of three draws. Um, if you don't beat them, who do you beat? I mean, Brighton might be different. That was a good draw on paper because Brighton have gone like a bomb this season. But Wolves can't burst a paper bag. And, and, and Palace came up here and thought it was the best result since Christmas sort of thing because they got a draw at Newcastle and I can understand that. But we've got to be more ruthless than that. I mean, otherwise we'll be happy with a draw at West Ham because it's away. And then we'll look and say, can we nick it 1-0 against Bournemouth? We've got to make more progress than that. Um, just because they deserve it. I'm not having a go. They deserve to be higher. I mean, the perf we have played the best two sides in the country and have been terrific in both games. The 3-3 the were Man City and the, the Liverpool game. We have been terrific against the very best. We deserve to be a lot higher than 11th, I think, which is where we are now. Um, and if we'd got three points against Crystal Palace going in, it would have been different. But we need that win. We haven't won since the opening day of the season. We've got to put that right. And, and these are two games, West Ham in the current form they're in, and Bournemouth at home before the break, they're two winnable games. Hmm. So, the question is then, John, will Newcastle get the win on Sunday? Well, that's a very, very good question. I'm going to say yes, because I would take, uh, I would forecast a draw under normal circumstances, um, but I just don't want to because I don't want to settle for a draw because we can't afford to. Um, yes, you know, win at home and draw away, that's fine. Um, but of course we drew at home, so we've got to win away. Uh, I would like to think we would win 2-1. But having said that, I think the obvious bet for most outsiders would be a draw. Yeah. I, I, in no way do we want to lose this. No. I'm going to go no way. I'm going to go with a draw as well. Yeah, I can understand that totally because I think it it looks the obvious result. Potential to be a very good game though, I feel. I think there's a potential to be a good game. Oh, yes, because both sides can play and both sides have got quality players. I mean, we know who ours are. You look at Rice, you look at Bone, you look at Antonio, you look at Bruno's mate that signed for West Ham. Yeah, but quite, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, they've got both sides have got good players. It could be a terrific game, but you know what? I'm more concerned about the result than a terrific game. It's down there, it's not up here. It's on telly. I would love it to be a terrific game and us win. Mm. But if I have to have a choice between a terrific game or us winning, I'll settle for us winning. And just a final word, I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but obviously the referee and the VAR uh, referee has been, has been picked. So we have uh, uh, Craig Parson is the referee, and then you have... Paul Tini's the, the VAR. Now, he obviously was the referee by United Arsenal and the decision we've mentioned there. Um, usually, I mean, usually the referees get picked, the VAR gets picked and no one bats an eyelid, but a bit, bit of pressure on them both this weekend. Oh, huge. I think there's, And I think there's more pressure on the VAR man than there is on the referee. 
Because if the referee makes a mistake, VAR can get in his, his ear and say, put that's right. That's in fact what happened for the goal to be choked off against Palace. So ironically, I mean, have we ever thought we'd be sitting and say, who is the VAR? I mean, often when it first came in, we didn't know who the VAR guy was. Now the spotlight's on him at West Ham. It ain't on... it For both clubs, by the way, because West Ham feel aggrieved. He has more on him than the ref. The ref, who was inexperienced at Palace, isn't getting done for what happened against Palace. The VAR guy was. In, in terms of the performance of the, of the ref coming on, on, on Sunday, are you expecting it to flow a little bit more? Are you expecting maybe the, the VAR not to get as involved as we've seen in the previous weeks are you expecting if they do the on-pitch referee will as we saw with Mike Oliver maybe just Mike stick Oliver to his Mike is a class of ball, isn't he I mean he not because he's a Geordie or I know man I don't mean from that point of view although Geordies do produce the best referees if you look at Clappenberg before Michael Oliver um, but you were never going to get the referee against Palace who was taking about his ninth game go over look at the monitor and overrule the guy sitting in VAR and say, no, I'm going to give the goal. Not a cut. But Oliver has got enough about him, enough stature, enough to look, to be sent across, look at it and say, no, I was mm. right. I'm sticking with so it. So as Craig Pawson, experienced referee, so it's just going to be interesting to see how this dynamic works Very with much. all the attention, please, all the pressure. Please, please, not let it, us be talking after the game about the ref and the guy sitting with VAR. Let's be talking about Newcastle having won the game deservedly without any reference to officials let's just talk about the guy that scored the Newcastle winner and not the guy sitting upstairs in the VAL yeah 100% agree this has been everything is black and white podcast the match preview I've been Andrew Musgrove joined as usual by John Gibson please remember to like and follow the podcast through your podcast provider it's totally free to do, just means with every new episode we upload, you will get a notification to say it's ready to listen or to download. We had a record-breaking month for August, 144,000 downloads, just over 144,000, uh, the biggest total we ever had. So thank you very much, guys, Brilliant. for sticking with us. Continue to do so. Lots of great content coming up, including... Uh, another episode of Gibbo's Corner in the not too distant future but leave us a rating and review uh, we love all your feedback and share the pod amongst your Newcastle United supporting friends and family and just finally do head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news